I want you to think with me this morning from the subject Rediscovering Lost Values. Rediscovering Lost Values. There is something wrong with our world, something fundamentally and basically wrong. I don't think we have to look uh, too far to see that. I, I'm sure that most of you would agree with me in making that assertion. And when we stop to analyze the cause of our world's ills, many things come to mind. We begin to wonder if it is due to the fact that we don't know enough. Oh, but it can't be that. Because in terms of accumulated knowledge, we know more today than men have known in any period of human history. We have the facts at our disposal. We know more about mathematics, about science, about social science and philosophy than we've ever known in any period of the world's history. So it can't be because we don't know enough. Then we wonder if it is due to the fact that our scientific uh, genius lags behind. That is, that we have not made enough progress scientifically. But then it can't be that. For our scientific progress over the past two years has been amazing. Man, through his scientific genius, has been able to dwarf distance and place time in chains so that today it's possible to eat breakfast in New York City and supper in London, England. Back in about 1753, it took a letter three days to go from New York City to Washington. And today you can go from here to China in less time than that. It can't be because man is stagnant in his scientific progress. Man's scientific genius has been amazing. I think we have to look much deeper than that if we are to find the real cause of man's problems and the real cause of the world's ills today. If we are to really find it, I think we will have to look in the hearts and souls of men. The trouble isn't so much that we don't know enough, but it is that we aren't good enough. The trouble isn't so much that our scientific genius lags behind, but our moral genius lags behind. The great problem facing modern man is that, that the means by which we live have outdistanced the spiritual ends for which we live. And so we find ourselves caught in a messed up world. 
problem is with man himself and man's soul. We haven't learned how to be just and honest and kind and true and loving. And that is the basis of our problem. The real problem is that through our scientific genius we made of the world a neighborhood, but through our moral and spiritual genius we failed to make of the brotherhood. And the great danger facing us today is not uh, so much the atomic bomb that was created by physical science. Not so much that atomic bomb that you can put in an airplane and drop on the heads of hundreds and thousands of people, as dangerous as that is. But the real danger confronting civilization today is that atomic bomb which lies in the hearts and souls of men capable of exploding into the vilest of hate and into the most damaging selfishness. That's the atomic bomb that we've got to fear today. The problem is with a man within the heart and the soul of men. That is the real basis of our problem. My friends, uh, all I'm trying to say is that if we are to go forward today, we've got to go back and we discover some mighty precious values that we've left behind. That's the only way that we will be able to make of our world a better world, and to make of this world what God wants it to be, and the real purpose and meaning of it. The only way we can do it is to go back and rediscover some mighty precious values that we've left behind. Our situation in the world today reminds me of a very uh, popular situation that took place in the life of Jesus. It was read in the scripture for the morning, found over in the second chapter of Luke's gospel. The story is very familiar, very popular. We all know it. You remember when Jesus was about 12 years old? As it was the custom of the feast, uh, Jesus' parents took him up to Jerusalem. That was an annual occasion, the feast of the Passover. And they went up to Jerusalem and they took Jesus along with them. And they were there a few days and then after being there, they decided to go back home to Nazareth. And they started out, and I guess as it was uh, the tradition in those days, the father probably traveled in front, and then the mother and the children behind. You see, they didn't have the modern conveniences that we have today. They didn't have automobiles and subways and buses. They, they walked and traveled on the donkeys and camels and what have you. So they traveled very slow, but... It was usually the tradition for the father to lead the way. And they left Jerusalem going on back to Nazareth. And I imagine they walked a little while and they didn't look back to see if everybody was there. But then the scripture says they went about a day's journey and they stopped, I imagine, to check up to see if everything was all right. And they discovered that something mighty precious was missing. They discovered that Jesus wasn't with them. Jesus wasn't in the midst. And so they, they paused there, and 
And Luke, and they didn't see him around, and they went on and, and started looking among the kinsfolk, and they went on back to Jerusalem and found him there in the temple with the doctors of the law. Now, the real thing that is to be seen is it, that the parents of Jesus realized that they had left and that they had lost a mighty precious battle. They had sense enough to know that before they could go forward to Nazareth, they had to go backward to Jerusalem to rediscover this land. They knew that. They knew that they couldn't go home to Nazareth until they went back to Jerusalem. Sometimes, you know, it's necessary to go backward in order to go forward. That's, that's, that's an analogy of life. I remember the other day I was driving out of New York City into Boston, and I stopped off in Bridgeport, Connecticut to visit some friends, and I went out of New York on a highway that's known as the Merrick Parkway. It leads into Boston, very fine parkway, and I stopped in Bridgeport, and after being there for two or three hours, I decided to go on to Boston, and I wanted to get back on the Merrick Parkway. And I went out thinking that I was going toward the Merritt Parkway. I started out and, and I rode and I kept riding and I looked up and I saw a sign saying two miles to a little town that I knew I was to bypass. I wasn't to pass through that particular town. So I, I thought I was on the wrong road. I stopped and I asked the gentleman on the road, which way would I get to the Merritt Parkway? And he said, the Merritt Parkway is about 12 or 15 miles back that way. You've got to turn around and, and go back to the Merritt Parkway. You're out of the way now. In other words, before I could go forward to Boston, I had to go back about 12 or 15 miles to get to the Merritt Parkway. Might it not be that that modern man has gotten on the wrong parkway? If he is to go forward to the city of salvation, he's got to go back. Get on the right parkway. And so that was the thing that Jesus' parents realized, that, that they had to go back and, and, and find this mighty precious treasure that they had left behind in order to go forward. They realized that. And so they went back to Jerusalem and discovered Jesus, rediscovered him, so to speak, in order to go forward to Nazareth. Now, that's what we've got to do in our world today. We've left a lot of precious values behind. We've lost a lot of precious values. And if we are to go forward, if we are to make this a better world in which to live, we've got to go back. We've got to rediscover these precious values that we've left behind. Now, I want to deal with one or two of these uh, mighty precious values that we've left behind and that if we're to go forward and to make this a better world we must rediscover the first is this the first principle of value that we need to rediscover is this that all reality hinges on moral foundations in other words that this is a moral universe and that there are moral laws of the universe just as abiding as the physical law. 
I'm not so sure if we all believe that. We, we never doubt that there are physical laws in the universe that we must obey. We never doubt that. And so we just don't jump out of airplanes or jump off of high buildings for the fun of it. We don't do that. Because we, we unconsciously know that there is a final law of gravitation, and if you disobey it, you will suffer the consequences. We know that. Even if we don't know it in its Newtonian formulation, we, we know it intuitively. And so we just don't jump off the highest building in Detroit for the fun of it. We, we, we don't do that. Because we know that that is a law of gravitation which is final in the universe. If we disobey it, we'll suffer the consequences. But I'm not so sure we know that there are a moral law just as abiding as the physical law. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure we really believe that there is a law of love in this universe and that if you disobey it, you'll suffer the consequences. I'm not so sure we really believe that. Now, at least two things convince me that that we don't believe that, that we have strayed away from the principle that this is a moral universe. The first thing is that we have adopted in the modern world a, a sort of uh, relativistic ethic. Now, I'm not trying to use a big word here. I'm trying to say something very concrete. And that is that that we have accepted the attitude that right and wrong are merely relative to our... This recording is briefly interrupted at this point. Most people can't stand up for their, for their conviction because the majority of people might not be doing it. See, everybody's not doing it, so uh, it must be wrong. And, and since everybody is doing it, it must be right. So a moral numerical interpretation of what's right. But I'm here to say to you this morning that some things are right and some things are wrong. Eternally so, absolutely so. It's wrong to hate. It always has been wrong and it always will be wrong. It's wrong in America. It's wrong in Germany. It's wrong in Russia. It's wrong in China. It was wrong in 2000 BC. And it's wrong in 1954 AD. It always has been wrong. And it always will be wrong. It's wrong to throw our lives away in righteous living. No matter if everybody in the church is doing it, it's wrong. It always will be wrong. And it always has been wrong. It's wrong in every age and it's wrong in every nation. Some things are right and some things are wrong. No matter if everybody is doing the contrary. Some things in this universe are absolute. God of the universe has made it so. So long as we adopt this relative attitude toward right and wrong, we are revolting against the very laws of God himself. Now that is the only thing that convinces me that we strayed away from this attitude, this principle. The other thing is that we have adopted a sort of uh, pragmatic test of right and wrong. Whatever works is right, if it works is all right. Nothing is wrong but that which does not work 
If you don't get caught, it's right. That's the attitude of It's all right to disobey the Ten Commandments, but just don't disobey the Eleven. Thou shalt not get caught. That's the attitude. That's the prevailing attitude in, in our culture. No matter what you do, just do it with, uh, with a bit of finesse. You know, a sort of attitude of the survival of the slickest. Not the Darwinian survival of the fittest, but the survival of the slickest. Who, whoever can be the slickest is, is the one who's right. It's all right to, to lie, but uh, lie with dignity. It's all right to steal and to rob and exploit, but do it with a bit of finesse. It's even all right to hate, but just dress your hate up in the garments of love and make it appear that you are loving when you actually hate it. Just get down. That's the thing that's right according to this new ethic. My friends, that attitude is destroying the soul of our culture. It's destroying our nation. Thing that we need in the world today is a group of men and women who will stand up for right, but be opposed to wrong wherever it is. Group of people who will come to see that some things are wrong, whether they are never caught up with. Some things are right, whether nobody sees you doing them or not. All I'm trying to say is our world hinges on moral foundations. God has made it so. God has made the universe to be based on a moral law. So long as man disobeys it, he is revolting against God. That's what we need in the world today. People who will stand for right and goodness. It's not enough to know the intricacies of zoology and biology. But we must know the intricacies of love. It's not enough to know that two and two makes four. But we've got to know somehow that it's right to be honest and just with our brothers. It's not enough to know all about our philosophical and mathematical disciplines. And we've got to know the simple disciplines of being honest and loving and just with all humanity. If we don't learn it, we will destroy ourselves by the misuse of our own power. This universe hinges on moral foundation. There is something in this universe that justifies Carlisle in saying, no lie can live forever. There is something in this universe that justifies William Cullen Bryant in saying, truth crushed earth will rise again. There is something in this universe that justifies James Russell Lowell in saying, 
principle that we've got to go back and rediscover, and that is that all reality has spiritual control. In other words, we've got to go back and rediscover the principle that that is a God behind the process. Well, I guess you say, why is it that you raise uh, that as a point in your sermon in a church? Uh, the mere fact we are at church, we believe in God, we don't need to go back and rediscover that. The mere fact we are here, and the mere fact that we sing and pray and come to church, we uh, believe in God. Well, there's some truth in that. But then you must remember that it's possible to affirm the existence of God with your lips and deny his existence with your life. The most dangerous type of atheism is not theoretical atheism, but practical atheism. That's the most dangerous type. And the world, even the church, is filled up with people who pay lip service to God and not life service. Filled up with it. And that is always a danger. That we will make it appear externally that we believe in God when internally we don't. We see with our mouths that we believe in Him, but we live with our lives like He never existed. That is an ever present danger confronting religion. That's a dangerous type of atheism. And I think, my friends, that that is the thing that has happened in America. That we have unconsciously left God behind. Now, we haven't consciously done it. We, we have unconsciously done it. You see, the text, you remember the text said that Jesus' parents went a whole day's journey, not knowing that he wasn't with them. They didn't consciously leave him behind. It was unconscious. Went a whole day and didn't even know it. It wasn't a conscious process. You see, we didn't go up and say, now, goodbye, God, we are going to leave you now. The materialism in America has been an unconscious thing. Since the rise of the Industrial Revolution in England and then the invention of all of our gadgets and contrivances and all of the things and modern conveniences, we unconsciously left God behind. We didn't mean to do it. We just became so involved in, in getting our big bank accounts that we unconsciously forgot about God. We didn't mean to do it. We became so involved. 
involved in getting our nice, uh, luxurious cars, and they're very nice, but we became so involved in it that it became much more convenient to ride out to the beach on Sunday afternoon than, uh, than to come to church that morning. It, it was an unconscious thing. We didn't mean to do it. We became so involved and fascinated by the intricacies of television that uh, we found it a little more convenient to stay at home than to come to church. It was an unconscious thing. We didn't mean to do it. We didn't just go out and say, now God was gone. We had gone a whole day's journey when we came to see that we had unconsciously ushered God out of the universe. A whole day's journey. Didn't mean to do it. We just became so involved in things that we forgot about God. And that is the danger confronting us, my friends. That in a nation as ours, where we stress mass production, and that's mighty important, where we have so many conveniences and luxuries and all of that, that is the danger that we will unconsciously forget about God. I'm not saying that these things aren't important. We need them. We need cars. We need money. All of that's important to live. But whenever they become substitutes for God, yes. they become injurious. Yes. And may I say to you this morning that none of these things can ever be real substitutes for God. Automobiles and subways, televisions and radios, dollars and cents, can never be substitutes for God. For long before any of these came into existence, we needed God. Long after they will have passed away, we will still need God. And I say to you this morning in conclusion that I'm not going to put my ultimate faith in things. I'm not going to put my ultimate faith in gadgets and contrivances. As a young man with most of my life ahead of me, I despair at all to give my life to something eternal and absolute. Not to these little gods that are here today and gone tomorrow. But to God who is the same yesterday, today and forever. Not in the little gods that can be with us in a few moments of prosperity. But in the God who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Who causes us to fear on That's the God. Not in the God that can give us a few Cadillac cars and Buick convertibles, as nice as they are, that are in style today and out of style three years from now. But the God who threw up the stars to redeck the heavens like swinging lanterns of eternity. Not in the God that can throw up a few skyscraping buildings, but the God who threw up the gigantic mountains kissing the sky as if to bathe their peaks in the lofty blue. Not in the God that can give us a few televisions and radios, but the God who threw up that great cosmic light that gets up early in the morning in the eastern horizon to 
the color, the cost of blue. Something that man could never make. I'm not going to put my ultimate faith in the real gods that can be destroyed in an atomic age. The God who has been our help in ages past and our hope for years to come. Our shelter in the time of storm and our eternal home. That's the God that I'm putting my ultimate faith in. That's the God that I call upon you to worship this morning. Go out and be assured that that God is going to last forever. Storms might come and go. Our great skyscraping buildings will come and go. Our beautiful automobiles will come and go, but God will be here. Last man will not. The flowers may fade away, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And nothing can ever stop it. All of the P38 in the world can never reach God. All of our atomic bonds can never reach it. The God that I'm talking about this morning is the God of the universe. And the God that will last through the ages. We are to go forward this morning. We've got to go back and find that God. That is the God that demands and commands our ultimate allegiance. If we are to go forward, we must go back and rediscover these precious values that all reality hinges on moral foundations and that all reality has spiritual control. God bless you. Amen. Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance unto thee and be with thee in thy going out and thy coming in, in thy labor and in thy leisure, in thy moments of joy and in thy moments of sorrow until the day when there shall be no sunset and no dawning.